Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Wednesday, February the 14th, 2024. And today it's time for a check-in with the one and only Coach Coots to discuss health, fitness, longevity, aging, and his general views on the political situation in Canada. So, David, what are you today? Hey, John, how are you there, buddy? Yeah, it's a funny, I have no problem answering every health question you can imagine. And then you'd mentioned politics. I'm like, ah, I don't know enough about that, I feel, but we'll try. We'll try. Oh, well, well, then you're participating on the same level that everybody else does. So it's great. It's great. Very true. Well, let's start with the sort of health stuff. I don't think we, we've done a podcast for quite a while, actually, but you know, in the news, there's been all this discussion about, is Biden too old? Is Trump too old? Is oh, yeah. anybody over 30 too old, et cetera? <laughs> and it got me thinking about, you know, the whole aging process a little bit. Okay. And that got me thinking a little bit about, you know, fitness, longevity, what should one do to stay on top of all these things going forward. So maybe we can begin with that a little bit. So sure. Well, what do you think? I mean, I don't, it doesn't seem to me the goal in life is just to kind of, you know, reach the age of 85 or 90 and, you know, be breathing, right? That surely is not <laughs> right. You know, I mean, everyone has different goals, that's for sure. I don't know too many people that put that on a, on a piece of paper say I'm done at 85 and I probably won't be able to do much, maybe shuffle around a little bit, scream at people for food. But, you know, it's it's a likelihood that that could happen if we don't take care of ourselves. And this is something I, I've made mention. I saw a post I did five years ago. I didn't realize I've already talked about it, but I've always talked about having a hundred year old goal. And when I'm a hundred, I want to be playing golf, but not playing golf, just golf. I want to be beating all the young kids around me. I want to be aware. I want to be there because like, I don't have time to golf until I'm 100 is kind of the idea, right? And by the time I'm there, I, that's when I'll, cool, I'm 100. Now I'll pick up golf and take 20 years to get good at it. You know, the way science is going these days, maybe we can push it to over 100. But yeah, I do have a 100-year-old goal, and that is not to be, you know, with a, with a walker, that ideally to keep walking, keep moving, keep exercising, keep eating well. And it, it makes the process easier to go along with because I have so many decades to get there and to be thinking so far ahead. You know, it, it actually seems to me that this is the first generation or the first time in life where, on a certain level, it seems to me that the biggest problem that a lot of people in the 60-plus crowd have is that they're actually likely to live for another 30, 35 years. Right. In the sense that they've got to manage their finances, they've got to manage their health, you know, they've got to manage all of these kinds of things. And, you know, that seems to me to require some kind of a plan, certainly more deliberation than a 30-year-old, you know, et cetera. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. When we look at people when they retire, you know, the best people that retire are those who have that plan to do this, this, and this, continue on living. But I don't know the statistics off by, by hand, but I do know that there's a large uh, amount of people that pass away within several years of post-retirement and that's because they, they, a lot of times they lose a sense of purpose. They start sitting around instead of moving around. You know, they're indulging in pleasures that they wouldn't have normally indulged in all the time. And that catches up to them because they're a little older. But yeah, having a plan, right? Absolutely. What do you, I mean, how do you, 
What do you think retirement is even supposed to be? I mean, I I have a lot of trouble. I mean, I don't know. When I look at my own life, I'm not sure I've ever really worked. You know, in the sense that, you know, I've never been employed or anything. But I, I have trouble, honestly, understanding what retirement even means. So what are your, you know, you got all these clients where you observe weekly, bi-weekly, whatever. Yep. What What is your understanding of retirement anyway? What is it? Uh, you know, I'll, uh, you know, if I, my my late great client there, Bob, and he was so looking forward to his retirement, and that was because, you know, he was done. I don't want to do this anymore, right? And he was where he was in finances and everything. He was very good at it, a lot of clients that kind of stuff. And people asked him, "Well, would you want to do some part time? Would do a little bit of that?" He just shook his head. I am finished. I am seventy. It's time to do something else. And he was really looking forward to that, right? And so I think that's that's one possibility. And then there's the other people who are like, well, wait a minute, I put 50 years into this career. I'm still bloody good at it. I'm better than these people. I still want to keep. So they stick with it. You know, maybe it's doing a podcast about their subject once in a while. Maybe it's hanging on to a couple of clients or a few scenarios where they do have to work every week or a few times a month. But yeah, it, it, retirement can be different for the person. So, so you would agree, though, if I were to suggest that what retirement absolutely cannot be is sort of a, a loss of purpose. Now I don't have anything to do anymore, right? Yeah, that seems to be the biggest problem. You know, there's a fantastic book called A Man's Search for Meaning, right? With Dr. Viktor Frankl. We did a podcast talking a bit about how he's very adamant about having purpose and meaning in life. Actually, I have a really good one here. This is perfect. I, I found this the other day. I'm like, oh, I need to remember this. This was a quote from Dr. Frankl. It says, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. And so I thought that was interesting, right? We just talked about if you retire, all of a sudden they're just, they're doing what they want and they're relaxing and they're maybe drinking more or whatever it is. They, they don't know what else to do. They're just doing what makes them feel good. They don't tend to have that driving purpose to get up and go. Could you repeat that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Here it is. When a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. Oh my God, I'll never go to the theater again. Uh, that theater, I think, you know, theater is not what they're referring to there. They might be thinking more, you know, alcohol or, you know, bad habits and gambling and, you know, staying up late or eating the dumb stuff or whatever it might be. But yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? You just don't feel, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure why I'm doing it. I'll do these things. They feel good. Right. So, you know, when you mentioned that, one of the things that, that strikes me about this is, and I've heard a lot of people sort of talk around this over the years, is that I think it's important for people to be happy with their own company. Sure. You know, and, and that's sort of... You and you know, don't mean like a company they own, but you, you mean themselves, being happy themselves. with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, you know, being by themselves. I mean, not all the time, yeah. but, you know, sure. otherwise they have to be have somebody around them or be in a place that's, you know, loud and noisy or something like that. Looking for distractions, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have trouble with that, you know, just sort of being by themselves or with themselves, right? Or, you know, seeing themselves as, you know, their, their own sort of company, at least temporarily. I mean, do you, have you seen that sort of thing? You ever had that thought or? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny wearing this shirt today too, working with the exercise therapy association we teach mental toughness and we have a pyramid of how where you should start just like fitness you know start with a base and work your way up and our base is something called lifetime gold medals which is specifically working on self-efficacy belief in yourself 
And the more people believe in themselves, the easier it is to attack problems. The more they believe in themselves, the easier it is to go on throughout life and, you know, just to continue moving forward. And so, yeah, I definitely do believe I see that a lot because we teach it as a base. We see it a lot where people want to work or need to work on self-efficacy. Yeah, I I think that's definitely true. So what about the whole, you know, sort of listening to you talk and thinking about this. I mean, I think the case for exercise, for example, formal exercise program, which, as you know, I've always been terrible at. (laughs) Hence the basis for our long association, David. But your consistency is bang on there, Josh. Well, I'm consistent because I know you. Otherwise, you know, (laughs) but but here's the thing, right? I mean, I can see that, you know, this is far, far more important for, you know, say the 60 or 50 plus crowd or something than it is for, you know, everybody else, right? Yeah, yeah, you'd think so. But you'd be surprised. There's a lot of teenagers and 20-year-olds, and 30, they just feel like they're not living up to something. They feel like they're not where they should be or maybe not doing what they should do. And it's the same idea, just finding a bit more of a meaning of purpose. You could not have a meaning or, or a purpose when you're in your 20s as much as easily as you could in your 60s. And not to mention life gets in the way. You know, Let's say you have a, a family and kids and that's going your way, and then you know, the kids get older and you get a divorce and your purpose and meaning has changed. So me personally, when I do the uh, the Frankel process, which is Dr. Victor Frankel trying to determine more meaning in my life, I do it several times a year, at least once a year, and that's because things change. You know, always things are always going to change until your your perception of things change. What you want in life might change. So I don't know if it's necessarily based on an age. There, I just feel that people will think more about it with the elderly because they don't want them to, you know, you know lose it or get sick or you know, be depressed at a later age, but we see it with younger people too. So you, you just used the word elderly and immediately what I thought of was going back to this thing with Biden and this report, (laughs) he's an elderly, nice old man, you know, et cetera. What, I'm just kind of curious, what do you think about how, you know, we look at the whole political process and, you know, the U S election coming up. And, you know, so we got these two candidates who are, you know, pretty old, right? Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're not competent or anything like that, but it does sure. mean that they are, you know, pretty old. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that there ought to be any... Like an age restriction? Yeah, age restriction, a minimum age, a maximum age. I, only because I know so many very competent and bright and sharp older people that I don't believe that to be something. I think, you know, you should do a mental test and you know, cognitive tests. And if you can't, like, if you're, you know, a pre-dementia and you're running a country where you can push a button and, and launch nukes, that's a problem, right? But mm-hmm. if you fat, passed all your tests and you're a healthy individual at 85, you're just as sharp. Like, everyone knows that older guy who's still there, still with it. So I, I don't think it's a great discrimination just to say because of age. Right. But, you know, there, there can be people losing it in their early 50s and 60s as well. Right. So, yeah, I think it's it's more of a dependent on the person scenario. Mm-hmm. That, that I, th- I think it's is true. Interestingly, though, the you know, the topic of age has I mean, it's just, you know, become front and center in, the, in this whole political discussion. I mean, every newspaper you read, I was reading the Boston Globe this morning. I mean, there's a big discussion of this and. You know, here, there, and everywhere. 
I mean, one thing that, that does occur to me, though, is that, you know, all the people in the United States and, you know, the two candidates are these two people. I mean, you know, doesn't that strike you as pretty, uh, pretty horrible, actually? It's pretty typical. If you look at, I mean, we're looking at the United States. We see a lot of uh, older population people winning the election for, I think, probably a lot of good good reasons, which is, you know, they've been at it the longest, so they've made their way up the ladder. Biden, definitely that scenario. I can't remember how many decades he's been in office trying to move. Only like there. 50 years, I think. Yeah, exactly. So those guys, they, they work their way up the ladder, right? And not to mention experience, right? So if you got some 25-year-old in, in the country saying, I'm going to change this country, it's like, well, what do you really know at 25? What have you seen in your 25 years, when you have some in their 70s and their 80s or something along those lines, and they're still with it, they can tell you, listen, this president's from, you know, this many time ago did this, and they'll know history, they'll have seen patterns, they'll understand people better just from, from experience, right? So it does make sense to agree. I don't think anybody's ready to hire a teenager, right? So we, we need those years under the belt. Well, they also have a very different perception of time. Yeah. And I think about often matters in decision-making. What comes to mind is, you know, the great Sir John Templeton stepped down from running Templeton Growth Fund. If I'm not mistaken, his replacement was somebody in their 20s. Uh, who had a very, very short period of time. And, and I remember thinking that, wow, I mean, this is going to be interesting, having somebody in charge of that fund who thinks that a year is a long time. Right. You know, and and I wonder if his short-lived tenureship of the thing might have been related to that, right? That's possible. You made a really good point there. That's something that as we get a little older, we all, no matter what, just seem to get a little bit better with, and that's patience, right? And I think that's right. You know, I, th I think that's absolutely right. And I think that patience is, it's more than a... A characteristic. I think it's a certain kind of intelligence, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that. And I remember seeing a clip of Biden sort of early on into his presidency where, what was that massive piece of legislation, Build Back Better? Anyway, this massive, massive piece of legislation that, okay. You know, the Democrats are trying to get through. I remember watching an interview where, you know, basically it wasn't going anywhere but sabotage. And what I found most interesting about his answer was, well, you know, that's for now and, and we'll just try something, you know, we'll just work with it, et cetera. And, you know, that struck me as, you know, an answer that was sort of rooted in patience and reality, patience, reality, and purpose, right? Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know until you try, right? We have to learn from doing. And that, that takes patience because maybe you have to do it a few times. Right? Yeah. Well, also, uh, you know, hey, you know, life is, you know, often a process, right? Exactly. And not Absolutely. necessarily sort of a hit the switch. And, and when I saw that, <laughs> one of the things I remember thinking was that, well, you know, that answer, you know, reflects his years of you know, being in the legislative swamp, right? You know, in, in various right. forms of government. So I thought that was interesting. So yeah, patience is definitely, definitely key. And generally speaking, I think that's where, you know, an older candidate probably would, would have an advantage. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is all going back to, to assuming that this person wants the best for our country and people around them, because you could see it in the opposite. Hey, they don't have a lot of time left. They've been patient for so long. So now they're hurrying to get things done in their in their running. Right. So it could work both ways. Right. Where they feel impatient because they don't feel like they have as much time left. So they rush things or they feel like plenty of patient because they've been doing this a while and they know things take time. Right. Well, the impatience would be the, you know, the feeling, the desire to want to get something done. The patience would be the recognition that in order to get that something done, a certain, you know, kind of behavior and focus is required. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that's interesting. And, you know, that I mean, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fan of political parties. I, I to be yep. fully open, especially the Democrats generally. But, yep. you know, I. That that struck me as, you know, positive. I mean, it's general sort of approach to that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So over to, you know, I don't know why we're t- other than, other than it has to do with age and longevity. I'm not sure why we're talking about the U.S. political situation where there's so much dysfunction right here. <laughs> so Canada, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't call, you know, Canada a great example of, the virtues of the democratic process, would you? Yeah, I suppose, right? Absolutely. It, it's changed a lot since I was younger, but it's also stayed so much the same. And I think I was telling you that story where I had my mom arguing with me that you need to, you need to vote. It's your duty. You need to go vote. You have to do it. And I was young at the time, but I looked it up quickly and I realized both these candidates, this, I can't remember at the time, but they both kind of seemed sketchy. They had made promises that they never came up on. There's large groups that disliked either side and so yeah at the time i'd said to my mom well which assholes do i vote for right and i I, what what did she say what did she say oh she thought i was just being oh you know don't you don't know you should be voting you don't know enough about this stuff and you know i couldn't disagree with her at that age i didn't know any better but looking at it now i have the same opinion which asshole do i vote for which one's going to actually do something that makes tangible change and gives us what we want for this kind of a lot of times they're just stuck in their party and they're going to have to go along with the party wants. And it, it always turns out typically worse than what we want when we vote for people. So I don't put too much effort into it, following people and thinking this guy's a good guy and that guy's a bad guy. I think they're all kind of stuck in this corrupt system, in my opinion. But again, my opinion. well, do you see the, you know, the dominance of the, of the political parties, right? Over the democratic yes. process. I mean, do you see that very much a root of the problem? So a minute ago, you said, "Well, or I thought I heard you say something about doing what their party wanted, or you know, something of this." Yeah, state. sure. Well, that, that I mean, that, again, I'm no political way involved with these things. I don't know them enough, but we we hear that a lot. That you know, the group is really making the decisions. You hear a lot of people talking about Biden being just a puppet, right? And they're just feeding him. You know, the Democrats are saying, "Do this, do that, say this, say that." He'll be literally reading a prompter and someone will tell him, oh, don't say that. Oh, okay. Right. And so, I mean, how much of that person actually making a difference when it's actually a large group that's making decisions? Well, I think another another question is, you know, to what extent do these political parties actually represent the voters? Yeah. Uh, one of the problems, you know, to go back to the whole Democrats and the Biden thing is, I mean, I think that this is fact, I don't think it's this, you know, sort of perception is that, you know, the Democrats sort of rank and file, right? You know, they just make this decision of who the candidate is. And, you know, there's not a lot of, certainly there's no public input at all. 
into you know the, the Biden thing, and I think that you know prior to that with Hillary Clinton, you know very much the same sort of thing, and and so you look at you know the way I see the Trump thing is actually somewhat different. You know I think the public in the U.S. and Canada, probably the U.K., you know all these first world democracies have effectively been disenfranchised in the sense that their only real function is to vote. You know, it's well understood as you, as you point out with your disillusionment that, you know, these, these governments are not particularly responsive, you know, to uh, the needs of individuals and don't really represent them. So I mean, I see, I mean, leaving aside what your view is of, of Donald Trump as a candidate, leaving aside that for a minute, I think that, you know, the Trump phenomenon is really because he's just an expression of, you know, the contempt that people feel for the process generally, you know, the fact that they're sort of disenfranchised. Well, what do you think about that? You think there's some truth to that? Or? Yeah, I, I agree with you to that extent. I don't think, you know, I, again, not mentioning Trump here and how I feel about it, but I don't think that he is anything more than what the public wanted him to be. They're already screaming and yelling at certain groups that they don't like this and they hate that. And now they have someone on the same playing field saying what they're saying. And so they vote for him, right? Well, I think, I think that's actually way. right. I think that's actually right. And if you watch Trump, I mean, occasionally I watch his, you know, Jerry uh, speeches, whatever they are. Yep. You know, he, can, he always comes back to, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you, right? And I think that is a, a tremendously effective, you know, way to rally the masses. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it's hard to make a case that, that is, you know, that it's not true on a certain level, right? Because, you know, people are so, they're so irrelevant, right? I mean, you know, it's as though in first world democracies, the, the fundamental principle is the irrelevance of the individual and the importance of the political party, right? Yeah. And you know what? They're going back to the voting story there. I think that's part of the reason I didn't want to either. It, you know, as much as so your vote matters, I was like, I don't really feel like it does. Right. That was then when I was younger into how I am now. Your vote matters. I'm like, ah, I'm not sure it does. Well, it certainly doesn't in the sense that, I mean, let's say that you, you know, in Toronto, that you vote for, you know, your, your member of parliament. Right. And sure. I mean, let's say that the person you vote for even wins. I mean, the problem with the, the political system is that the, the MPs sort of follow the directive of the party central, right? Okay. So, I mean, I'm not sure how this helps you. And, and because of that, I mean, we have this tremendous phenomenon of people voting against yeah. rather than voting for, right? I mean, yeah, you can't understand is that, you know, the Democrat, it's, it's fascinating, right? You go online and, you know, you have all these, you know, we have all these, I mean, what, what's happened is, right, that the Democrats are saying, well, vote, you know, we, we have to stop Trump and the Republicans saying we have to stop Biden. I mean, you know, there was never any, anything about, you know, why Biden might be a good candidate or why Trump might be a good candidate or something like that. And, and this, I think, has created sort of a huge distraction in the democratic process in the sense that people, <laughs> you know, no longer vote for for anything, but it's just sort of, you know, rallying the troops against a certain candidate, which is why, uh, as difficult as it may be, 
I think that the very best candidates are independent candidates. Yeah, um, sure. And not affiliated with a political party at all. Yeah, it's just tough that those type of candidates won't get that kind of rah-rah and support behind them the way we would 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 want them to, sorry. But I also liked your point there on, you know, a lot of people mentioned that these political battles that don't seem to make any sense are just big distractions. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of billion dollars being blown on things or wars we don't agree with or processes happening that a lot of people seem to think that the politics is a great distraction. Just put this on the news and people will blame this person and that person and sort of forget what's actually what's actually happening. Well, it, it certainly is entertainment. Uh, that is for sure. Well, yeah, for sure. You know, before the last election, I came across a a video of in 1976, the, you know, the Ford Carter presidential debates. And I've got to tell you that they were just so much more reasonable, valuable, intelligent in 1976 than what was going on like 50 years later, 46 years later, where it was just, I mean, you know, we hear this phrase, you know, clear the swamp or whatever. I mean, right, right. You know, that would include the content of these political debates, which have gotten so ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it would be better if on the ballots, right? So, you know, when you, I mean, I don't know how often you vote, but you have voted, I think, in your of life. Of course. Okay. Yeah. I've, oh. I've even voted for you there, John. Oh, well, that was clearly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you, you, you go and, and you look at the ballot, right, and they have the name of the party, right, beside the candidate. And, and so many people use that as that's how I vote, right? It's almost like here, here's how you're supposed to vote, right? Red versus blue. And don't you think that's a, ter- a terrible thing? It's, it's, you know, it's what it has been for so long. I said it there, red versus blue. It's choosing your party and choosing sides. You know, even if sometimes the sides are somewhat similar, they'll find a way to make them this guy's the bad guy, that guy's the good. Why, why is there never a point where blue and red are kind of agreeing on certain things and they could make a beautiful mixture of color as opposed to always being opposing each other? You know, it's the party that matters, you know, not, not the principle and that sort of thing. I think in Canada, I don't, I, I don't know what the situation is in the United States, but I think in Canada, it's only been, you know, 50, 60 years that the party name appeared beside the candidate. Before that, it was just, you know, you were voting for an individual. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Yeah, I they think want, that's they want that, really interesting. They want that influence in there, right? Let's see. Like, I don't vote often. What I vote last time? Oh, yeah, red. Okay, yeah, red's good. Right? Like, you know, I wonder how many people make it that simple. Like, it's my favorite color out of the two. Right, like for sure. Well, well, David, here I'll tell you a story. They do make it that simple. And, and here's, <laughs> here's an example of how bad this this actually is. In 2000 and uh, whatever it was, 15, I I ran a friend of mine who's now deceased, Sinclair Stevens, very famous cabinet minister, created a political party called the Progressive Canadian Party, and it was it was really just a, a softer version of the Conservative Party, but Anyway, so, you know, sort of a, a favorite. I mean, I, you know, I like the party, but the favorite to him, I'd rant to Canada. What was interesting was that the, the initials of the party were PC, Progressive Canadian. Okay. Now, the old conservative party was called the Progressive Conservative Party, PC. And what happened yep. was that in Canada, when the Harper Conservative Party took over the Progressive Conservative Party, the 
party designator became CON or conservative or whatever and not PC. Anyway, so here's what happened. In this election, so my name was on the ballot as a progressive Canadian candidate, but it said PC. And a lot of people were confused, right, about whether, you know, like what this actually was. I mean, did this mean that I was the candidate of a conservative party of Canada? Right. For the progressive Canadian party. And I didn't really think much of it, but then I walked into the office the next morning and, you know, somebody had one of the Toronto papers open with one of those yellow stickies on it, meaning look. Yeah, here. yeah. And there's this article about all these people in this writing being upset about, you know, they didn't understand, you know, what party this was, right? Okay. I'm thinking, you know, and they were angry about this, right? And I'm thinking, oh my God, I mean, you must be out of your mind. I mean, you know, I mean, that's proof positive, right? That people don't vote for the candidate. They just vote for the party, right? I feel for them there, John. I don't look at a paper. I don't listen to the jargon they say, right? So if I were to go in there and be like, huh, I'm not sure about this, right? Especially if you're not spending time, you know, constantly following politics. It could be confusing, right? Yeah, but I mean, let's say, you know, you so go back to what your mother says, right? Uh, you know okay so you you know vote you have a duty to vote you know all this sort of stuff i mean do you think as a member of a a citizen of what perceives itself as a functioning democracy that you have any obligation to pay attention to any of this stuff you know to or not or just ignore the whole thing i mean some countries require you to vote i think australia may be one of them yeah yeah that's interesting yeah I, I guess me personally, I've just always found it. Uh, I, I I feel so insignificant as a democratic voter. So you feel what? Very insignificant, right? Like the average voter. Yeah, the average voter, right? So that's why I like, why am I? I voted for this. Didn't quite go that way. Or let's say you did vote for this. They made it through. Oh man, they're doing the same stupid thing the last guy did, right? So why you know you voted for change, didn't get change, actually got the exact same thing. And then what, we we wait eight years later and there's a new person proposing to do something so much better. And then again, that doesn't happen. So, I mean, a lot of collapsed lies, right, in, in politics there, it makes it tough for people to want to care. Well, it is. I mean, they don't, they certainly don't provide a lot of motivation, excitement, incentive, right? I mean, really just, you know, everyone can tax you, you know, give us your money. Well, here we are. So it's 2024, there's an election next year. The Trudeau liberals have been running the country for 10 years. Yeah, man, I can't even believe it's been that long. How do you feel about the Trudeau liberals, David? I don't know them, any, any of them personally or, or you know, objectively, really. So uh, all I know is what I see here and there. And we're billions of dollars of spending that shouldn't be happening. And we have a drama teacher running the country. Like, you know, the basic kind of stuff you see people talking about. But yeah, it's, it's the same same loop. That we constantly see because these parties don't go away. They're never a challenge. It's red versus blue. We don't see opportunity for rise and for change. And I know it sounds kind of cynical. I'm sitting here like, ah, oh, they're all crap. But like, this is just truth through experience. This is what I've noticed and watched. And I'd say my mood would probably be worse if I spent a lot of time trying to analyze red versus blue. And then what if happens? I vote for blue and then blue does the same as red. Right. And so, yeah, for me, it's uh, it doesn't seem to make a ton of tangible change, uh, at least for my life. So, so what, what you're what I'm inferring from what you're saying is that you don't think that, at least on the federal level, that what goes on in Ottawa really affects you much on a daily basis. Anyway, is that right? 
Yeah, not a lot, right? Obviously, that that can change, right? But for the most part, it's you know taxes will go up, you know interest rates will change, you know they'll charge us more because of this highway. They'll come up with some sort of new fund that we have to pay for, and it's you know it's history repeating itself always. Right? Mm-hmm. People thirty years ago were complaining about the same things, similar enough, right? And then we talk about it now like it's new and why is this happening? Well, you do the history. This is repeating itself, right? So. Which I mean, part? I think chicken and egg thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. But do you think if there, I mean, I agree. I think there's almost no interest on the retail level in politics in Canada. Almost no interest, particularly interestingly, in the area of provincial politics, which I find fascinating because, you know, the stuff that the provinces do does matter. Okay. You know, it does, you know, reach out and affect people. Or the municipal level. I mean, nobody can make a case that, you know, Toronto City Council doesn't have an impact on the lives of, of people who live in Toronto. I mean, you cannot make that yep. case. Okay. Sure. Yep. But yet, very low voter turnout. People don't care. People are elected uh, based on uh, name recognition, I think, overwhelmingly. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no way that Olivier. Olivia Chow could have been elected Toronto mayor had she not, you know, had a history in municipal politics, possibly her, you know, her marriage to the late Jack Late as well. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you were mentioning I mean, Ronald Reagan. Do you Reagan. think that this, that this perpetuates itself because of the, the general lack of interest or commitment to be involved? Well, let's say you do get involved. You go all out. You're online, you're hustling, you're trying to meet with people. I'd just be so curious at, like, let's say, a full year of that. How much influence did you actually make? Practically none. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of why you're mentioning it there. Why are the, you know, obviously these these parties have major you know, attributes to our cities, to our provinces, but how much do, do we as an individual get to actually say what they do? Right. And, well, they like you know, to make it this seem is like exactly it. the problem, David. I mean, and you see it especially. I mean, I have. You know, because I've moderated, you know, one of the things I do is I moderate a political debate. And so, I mean, over the years, uh, you know, I met a lot of people who, you know, particularly younger people who really, really, you know, had a lot of energy and a lot of purpose. And I mean, they really, they really should be involved. Okay. Just because of their energy and commitment, but it, particularly in city politics, right, where there's no term, there's no term limits. And it becomes very hard to run against these people because of their name recognition, right? Huge. Yeah. I mean, look at our mayor now. Wait, wait, no, not mayor now. Not mayor. Doug Ford. You think Doug Ford made it in there just because, you know, he he had a brother who was mayor. They kind of got their name in there, right? Well, that that was a help. And, of course, Doug Ford had had run for mayor for an auto right to replace his brother. They run over his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that. I mean, it's it's very much a, you know, politics on the retail level is very much about name recognition, you know, broadening recognition. I mean, you know, when you talk about Trump, Rob Ford, Rob Ford, okay, sure. Uh, you know, uh, Doug Ford, younger brother, who was mayor of Toronto. You know that that is, I think, Exhibit A. Years ago, when he that was in 2010, that election, about a year before he. You know, sent out a thing announcing, you know, saying that, you know, come on up for this meeting, you know, it's going to celebrate 10 years of politics, whatever. 
And a friend of mine was invited and said, well, you know, John, why don't you meet me up here? And so I went there and it was in this huge, huge hockey arena. And I got there a little bit early, but not so early. I didn't have to walk around to look for this person. And I'm walking around and there's people from all over the greater Toronto area, right? Who knew Rob Ford and has Rob Ford story and Rob Ford and, you know, help them get their electrical problem solved or something like this. And I knew that, you know, he had a chance right at that point. Yeah. So, you know, so it was name recognition, you know, obviously it's set for it, but it, it is absolutely huge. Yeah. Toronto has never been more famous because of Rob Ford's, some of his antics there. So simply became royalty. That's so funny. So funny. yeah. Anyway, it's it's a big problem. You know the whole the whole problem the disconnect between these politicians and retail and the voters is, is just awful. Yeah, I was telling you there. Like I, you know, I still wish for and hope for that. You know, we have that that person that just cares so much. Then no matter what, they're going to make the job the way it should be, and that create a party of people who care. But you know. We don't see it. We still see red and blue. And then if someone shows up that probably does, they don't make it just because, you know, the name, right? They don't have that name. So, yeah, it's it's tough. We see where it is. I, I try not to dwell on it, right? I focus on my day-to-day living. And, you know, politics are going to be there again 40 years from now, probably having a similar conversation that we are having again now. Well, that's other- the problem. I mean, how, how can these democracies sustain themselves if, you know, people just you know, remain uninvolved, right? Yeah, it's true. But, you know, and then that's how much do you want to be involved in, right? It, it probably, well, obviously we want good things from a country, but are you going to make your whole life politics? Some people do. Absolutely. Right. With myself, this is an uncomfortable subject for me. I don't talk about politics. I'm not a political person very much more health and, and fitness related and nutrition and, you know, lifestyle and mental health. Those kinds of things I focus on more because they kind of matter more for me day to day and for the people I deal with. Well, maybe you should send a, send a letter to all the uh, members of parliament in Canada saying that they really need your fitness program. <laughs> you know and what? We'd be sure. meeting with you, you know, once a month. Yeah, you know, I have a feeling that I'd send it and never hear back. I don't know why. <laughs> seems Seems likely anyways. Well, unfortunately, it's true. So make a prediction. What do you think? you think that the Trudeau liberals will manage to be the government after the next election or no? My prediction is no, only based on what numbers are saying now, as well as majority of people I talk to have a very much when they're talking about Mr. Trudeau there. I was mentioning the UFC event with massive amount of people at the Air Canada Center there. They had an entire crowd chanting against Mr. Trudeau there, 50, 60,000 people very uh, against the man. Uh, so I'd be surprised if he makes it right back in clean slate because he's created a lot of things that people don't value, don't like, don't don't represent themselves. And so we'll see. You know, we'll see. But I think, uh, I think we're looking at a non-Trudeau, but you never know, right? You never know with these guys, right? Could, they could come up with something and, you know, Blue Party did this and everyone focuses on how horrible that is and that makes Red Party look better. And it's a game. If you ever watch House of Cards, it's actually pretty close in my opinion, right? Just how, like, there's just deep levels of corruption going on. Well, the, pr- the problem, of course, is that you can count on the support of the NDP to prove up the government, right? Yeah, NDP, kind of that in, the, in between color, right? Doesn't quite make it up there, but it helps with the other colors, right? 
Well, they're not going to align with the conservatives. Yeah, I think that I think that's pretty clear. Well, that's that's all that's all interesting. Yep. All right. Well, let's. I mean, I think the more important issue is we'll call it the Coots client base. The Coots client base. So, how would people get in touch with you to not only get more of your general wisdom but your training? Sure. Well, people can find me online. Uh, you know, I have a coachcoots.com website. I'm on Instagram, Coach Coots. I'm the real Coach Coots on Twitter or X, they call it now. Uh, there Facebook, is no substitution. There's no substitute. Yeah, Facebook, same idea. Coach Coots there. And yeah, very open and welcome to any and all questions for people. I try to promote that with my social presence. Is that if you have any fitness, health questions, food questions, sleep questions, I just love helping people. It's been 20 odd years now. And the more people I can be like, hey, wow, this person's now sleeping better. That person, their injury is now no longer an issue. Those types of things, I just get the most amount of gratitude from helping people. And so, yeah, that's that's why I'm here, John, just to help. You put it that way, sure. maybe there's a career in politics for you yet. Yeah, I just, I just don't see it, right? I Literally, don't see it. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, that's great. Uh, so. Thanks for the conversation today. Always interesting. And yeah, this was this was different for sure. And like I said, just a disclaimer there, I have no background in politics. So if you're thinking about taking my opinion for this, but just remember, it was just a conversation. Nothing, nothing solid, right? Just some opinions. Well, what is a democracy other than the sum total of a bunch of opinions? Isn't that the truth? Or maybe not. There you go. And <laughs> thanks for the training session today as well. Hey, good stuff, John. You keep moving, buddy. It makes me happy. All right. Yeah. Good stuff this morning, bud. Thanks. Absolutely.